I am going to be doing some teaching here today in this, uh, in this subject of spiritual warfare. I want to start with a text that is the gospel message written by Paul, but in a distinctly spiritual warfare sort of way. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12, 13, 14. And he's saying that to the Colossians that he hasn't stopped praying for them. And this is kind of how he finished what he prays for them. He says, I have not stopped praying for you and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's not our typical verse to read the gospel because we don't think in terms of authority and power and dominion of evil and darkness versus the kingdom. We usually say kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, or just the kingdom. We don't think of it as the kingdom of light. But that's in your Bible, and it's in there for a reason. One well-known story in the Old Testament is the story of the conquest of Jericho by the Israelites. As Joshua was leading the Israelites into the Holy Land, per God's instruction, this walled city of Jericho was conquered by the army marching around it and blowing horns, and the walls fell. It's kind of a famous story for those of us familiar with the Bible. What's not often remembered about that otherwise famous story is this encounter that Joshua has just before with a spiritual being, presumably an angel. It's in Joshua 5. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. That's it. Just this little scene, peculiar little scene, but one of hundreds that I could use to show you what I told you last week, that from Genesis to Revelation, there are other beings on the stage. We live in a populated universe. This being, not a man, not God, something else. There are spiritual beings in play if you believe in Scripture. So I wanted to remind you that that was your takeaway from last week. And interestingly, this conversation between Joshua and this commander of the Lord's army reminds us that this is warfare, that there is a war going on. It's not between each other, evidently, but there is a war. Otherwise, why would this being introduce himself as the commander of the Lord's army? But then, interestingly, another reminder that's embedded in this little story from last week is that our war is not being waged, this war that's going is not being waged against humans, against things of flesh 
and blood. And we know this because he asked. He asked the questions that you are always inclined to ask. Me too. Whose side are you on? We want to know whose side is God on. Are you on our side or our enemy's side? We do this all the time. And we divide between humans and we use warfare talk. Fighting words, right? And we should all be super conscious of this as Christians right now in the political season we're in. You know, it's liberals versus Democrats. I mean, liberals versus versus conservatives. Democrats versus Republicans. You... You, uh, you snowflakes over there versus, versus you deplorables over there. Fighting words. And we ask, God, whose side are you on? We want to know. And this angel of the Lord, this being, looks at him and says, this is neither. Neither. He's engaged in a battle. He's armed for battle. I mean, I could see Joshua. I mean, he doesn't. But it, I could see him go, I mean, you're dressed for battle and I'm in a battle. Why aren't you picking a side he goes oh i'm i would imagine that he would say something like the war that you're battling it's not between you human beings constantly and arrogantly dividing and thinking you're right and fighting each other it's bigger than that there is a war going on and again i'm putting paul's words in this angel's mouth but if he was to describe to joshua what battle he's dressed for I think he would say what Paul said to us in Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against rulers. Against authorities. Against the powers of this dark world. Not flesh and blood. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Church, there's implications to this. There's implications to this whole worldview that the Bible is presenting to us. There should be, at least. Shouldn't there? There should be implications. What are the implications? Well, we know it's not, according to C.S. Lewis, you remember, it's not to take an unhealthy or excessive interest in these invisible beings that are not God and not humans. And I hope we're not doing that. I'm not intending to do that. But it can't be to disbelieve in them either. Or to say, yes, I intellectually believe, but I disregard. I'm a practical atheist concerning these beings. Because I never address them. I never have that category in mind as I walk through life. That You might as well disbelieve in them. Now, I think the response, again, is from Paul in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, I don't know if you're noticing. I'm going to keep coming back to that. We'll deal with it more specifically. But I keep coming back to it. It just sums up so much of what we're talking about in scripture paul captures so much but i think our response needs to be what he says in verse 10 be strong in the lord and in his mighty power you're going to need that put on the full armor of god why so that you can take your stand against people that get in your way nope against the devil's when i originally mapped out trying to map out impossible assignment four weeks on this subject um, i planned on this week to focus in on that phrase the devil's schemes and i was going to try to just outline best i can prayerfully through scripture and experience and people a lot smarter than me i am relying on a lot of people including jono jono sent me all his notes from uh from his spiritual warfare i appreciate him 
Uh, but a lot of people who are far more educated and experienced in this whole category. I just it wasn't raised with this as being normal. So I'm new on the scene. Last decade or so, maybe a little longer. I still just feel like a baby in this. And uh, I was going to try to outline the devil's schemes. I want to talk about that at some point here. Because in any war, it's great to know what the enemy has in their arsenal. Wouldn't that give you a big advantage? It would. It would, it would let you know how to be alert and, and aware when you were being attacked by the enemy. But I started looking at it, and it's a bit overwhelming. And maybe a little intimidating and a little scary. And I've told you, if I do anything that makes you feel scared, I'm doing it wrong. So I thought, I've got to end with the power we have. What our arsenal is. How we fight against those schemes and win. I've got to do that. But that's a whole sermon. So I decided to flip them. Today I'm going to tell you how we fight. And how we win. Every single time. You do not lose when you fight. You lose if you don't fight. If you remain passive. That's what Adam and Eve did. They didn't resist. That, that man, Adam, should have grabbed that snake and crushed it under. That's what should have happened. But he didn't. He just passively let the enemy influence. And that's the only way the enemy wins is if you let him when you're a Christian. And so today I want to talk about the victory we have. You, you believe in this. You've been singing it. If you believe what you've been singing, you believe in this. And so that's what I want to look at today. We touched on it last week in 1 John, just by way of reminder to set this up. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe. And the evil one cannot harm him. We know we're children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We are in this dominion of darkness. We're walking through it. But we're children of light from the kingdom of light. If we have Jesus, we walk with some invulnerability through it. But that's not our job. It's just to walk through it invulnerable. Some of us need to grow in that, to know how to do that. Because if you be passive, the dominion of darkness has its way. You can tell your joy's gone, right? Your peace is gone. You're distraught all the time. You're full of worry. You know, that's what happens if you don't. But you're not just to be vulnerable. You're to fight. You're to fight. And so, in this enemy territory, how do we fight? In this whole series, what I'm going to tell you today, I'm, I'm taking pains to show you in Scripture this, but basically, what I'm trying to teach you is a certain way to pray. A certain way to speak to God, but also for God. Uh, that's it. So I want you to, it, it's, just, it's just that much. All this is getting to that. Is for you learning a certain kind of prayer that I'm calling warfare prayer. I just want you to add it to your prayer life. That's, what I, that's my goal in this four weeks. And you're going to hear that today in the strongest way. So the simplest verse I could find that is going to give you a biblical anchor for a practical answer of how do you fight. It's right here. You can underline it, put it in the margin of your, in front of your Bible somewhere. James 4, 7. There's so much to say here, but he, he captures the answer to the question of what do I do to engage in the fight? He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. First, I just want you to see the promise in this. Are you, capture this. The enemy will flee. 
That's what we want, right? If there's anything to this and there are evil angels or demons or whatever you want to call them. See, I'm still uncomfortable with it. If they're there, we want them to flee. We want them to away. We don't want their influence. We don't want anything happening. This promise is they will. They will flee. From who? You. You. You are supposed to be intimidating to them. How? Two things. Two things. And I find this throughout scripture. I'll give you a little backup for this. But these two things are summarized here. Submit yourselves then to God. So that's thing one. What's submission to God? That is living in his way. That's obeying him. That's being a follower of his. That's living according to his will, according to his kingdom. You don't have to do it perfectly. These are citizens of the kingdom of life are not perfect. They are being perfected, but they are engaged. And so first thing, check yourself. Am I submitted to God's will? Second thing is resist. Now, resist sounds passive in our language these days. It's like, I'm just kind of, no, stop. Don't, don't do that. That's what I, you know, resist. That's what it sounds like, but it's not that. The Greek word, this is an offensive word. It's more like in Star Wars. Those of you familiar with that, there's the empire and then there's the resistance. They're not a strictly defensive force. They are trying to conquer evil. That's more what is here in the Greek. The Greek word means to stand against or to oppose. And so this is an active thing. And that's what, so these are the two things. You need to live in submission to God. And then as a agent of the kingdom of light, you resist, you fight against the darkness. I'll get to how to fight in just a minute. It's amazingly simple to get started. But I want to confirm this. This is James giving us, I see these two moves, not just in all the examples in scripture, but agreed to by Peter. He says it just as concisely. In 1 Peter 5, he says it's a little different. He says, be self-controlled and alert. The enemy, the, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Pause. That last part, when, when this might be new to your ears, I, I know it was new to mine, it was hard to embrace. I don't even want this worldview. I don't want there to be angels and demons. I'll take the angels, but not evil angels. I don't want there to be. But if there is, okay, at least it's common. It is normalized. Everyone in the world suffers like this. Like what? What did he just say? The enemy is prowling around like a roaring, roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This happens to all believers. This is normal. If you don't know about it, that's not normal. And it's certainly not good. So back to this formula. You see these two moves in Peter's language. He says, first, be self-controlled. That's the same thing as being submitted to God, right? We're living for him. And then he uses the exact same word, as James, resist him, resist this enemy, this devil. So you see this confirmed there. And then I see it one more. So that's James and Peter. I see it in our text in Ephesians 6 with Paul. When we haven't just gone through them all, but there's two of the six pieces of armor that we're told to arm ourselves with. I see these two reflected there. 
Ephesians 6.14 says, we need the breastplate of righteousness in place. What is God's righteousness? I've taught you before that my understanding of righteousness as used in the Bible is twofold. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other, sometimes it's both. So we'll just take this as both. Righteousness is rightness between you and God. Just, it's right. Everything's right with you. And then living rightly. Righteousness is sometimes used as just living the way God desires you to. And remember, righteousness is given to us in Christ. We don't have to be good enough to be right with God. He's granting us that through Jesus dying for us. And when we receive that, it transforms us and we begin living rightly in ever-increasing measure as we go. So again, that's submission to God, that's self-control, that's righteousness. And then another piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit. All the other ones are defensive pieces of armor, but he puts a sword in your hand, the word, which is the word of God. That's an offensive weapon, implying that this fight, we're to resist, we're to stand our ground, we're to fight evil. Whenever you see the, you remember, whenever you see the word, word, I've told you this too. I hope you've got this. You don't think of scripture. That, that's not the picture. When the, when the Bible wants to talk about scripture, it's interpreted scripture because there's a Greek word for that. So whenever you're supposed to be picturing the Bible, you'll read scripture. When you read the word word, you do better to think of Jesus because it's the word logos. But this one isn't even that. This is another word that we've taught you about that's used less. It's rima. That is the spoken words of God. Like, it has breath associated with it, so it's not just written down. It's out loud spoken words that belong to God. That's the sword of the Spirit. Okay, so you see, again, Paul, James, Peter, two moves. I know it's a little wonky. I told you I had to teach today, but I want you to, want you to go, okay. Okay, there's so much more to say there and more to study, but... I'm trying to just give you a biblical basis for what I'm about to teach you. So resistance, how do we resist? We preach all the time about how to live in submission to God, right? Most of our sermons about us learning how to live according to the kingdom way. We do not spend any time hardly at all on how to fight. I'm supposed to resist evil. How do I do it? So right now, I think it would be useful to go to two examples from scripture. It's gonna be surprisingly simple for you to get started in this. First, of course, we go to Jesus. I mean, he's, it's great knowing that this worldview is biblical from Genesis to Revelation, that there's some Old Testament scenes that pop up that affirm that's going on. It doesn't let us forget. Some New Testament authors, they talk about it being their worldview. But Jesus, he's our lighthouse, right, that we look at. We follow him I need to know this is Jesus' worldview. And more than that, I want to know how he fights because he's our teacher. He's not just our savior, he's our Lord and he calls us to be his disciples and a disciple is someone who lives like their teacher. So how he fights, that is for us to use as a model for how we fight. It's one of the reasons he came in the flesh. So starting in Mark 1, if you just start in Mark 1, he began, Mark's, Mark is an action guy. He, didn't, he skips the birth scene. He goes straight to the baptism. And there, just like Genesis, it starts with God. The whole Trinity is there. The Father's there speaking over the Son who's in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is descending like a dove. So it starts with God. 
the very next scene, just like Genesis, doesn't leave it. The story is not just about the characters on the stage are not just God and humanity. The very next scene is where the Holy Spirit, I think I wrote it down here, at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan, just like Adam and Eve. He's getting the same treatment here at his beginning that his humanity got at their beginning, showing that he's going to do it different. And he was with the wild animals and angels attended him. This is amazing to me. I mean, it's just verification that this is what's happening according to Mark's narration. There's, there's God, there's man, and then there's Satan. And even in his one little breath about the temptation, this is all he says, he even throws in some angels there. There are these other beings. But if that wasn't enough, it goes on. The first act of Jesus, he picks his disciples. Like I said, it moves, we're in chapter one. And he picks his disciples. His first act of ministry is he goes to church, to synagogue for them in Capernaum. And look at what happens in the synagogue. First act of ministry. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority It's an important word in spiritual warfare, authority. Not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. What's he mean by that? Here it is. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. So here we have this encounter, this first act of public ministry. People probably just see a disruptive human you know, we see them all the time. They're, they may not be thinking in this category. Jesus is. He thinks in this category. And I just want you to notice that word authority. He is noticeably to the people operating with some authority that other teachers of the law don't carry around with them. And so what Jesus did, quite simply is he spoke directly to the evil spirit once he acknowledged it was there and told it to clear out. And you know what it did? It cleared out. Why? Why does it seem to be so simple and not like a whole movie called The Exorcist that takes the whole movie to get any progress at all? Because he has authority. He says it and it is done. Because he has authority. He says it sternly. And so it doesn't end it there. Just, I don't have this for you up here, but I want you to hear. Right after this, he goes to Peter's house and his mother-in-law's sick. He heals her. And then this happens. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So is spiritual beings and spiritual warfare in the worldview of our Lord and Savior Jesus? 
Yes, we're just in chapter one. But what I'm really wanting you to see here is what he does. And in case you missed it, by the example, Mark puts it into the mouth of the people to articulate exactly what he did. He gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. He's our rabbi. We live in him and we live like him. So if we're going to resist the enemy, we're going to do it like Jesus did. What is our call? To order evil spirits away. Now you might be going, well, of course he had the authority. I mean, he's part of the Trinity. It's a huge advantage, right? He's part of the Trinity. That's Jesus. He just speaks it. He's got it. Okay. Then let's just move to example two. These are just two examples. There's tons. You should have to trust me or we'd be here all day. Or you can do your own study. Let's move to Acts 16. We're going to look at a scene that involves Paul. Paul, definitively not a member of the Trinity. Let's see what happens. Acts 16, 16. Once, this is Luke writing. When we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. I've got some questions here that I wish we had time to go through, but I'm looking at our time. What I really want you to notice here, my real point that I want to give you today is that Paul did, he's just like us, and he did exactly what Jesus did. He spoke to evil, commanded it away, and what happened? It went away. The only difference I see in what Jesus did and what Paul did is Paul names the basis of his authority. He names the name of Jesus Christ. Now, do you have to do that? I don't know, but I do. Why not? I think there's power in that name. And since the word of God, the sword of the spirit is the word of God spoken, I'm going to speak it out loud. I'm going to speak these words of God out loud and I'm going to engage in the resistance. So let me give you a practical example of, we have this example of Jesus, the example of Paul, of how I pray, of how I've, my prayers have changed about a decade ago. And I don't always do it, but increasingly so, especially after this study during sabbatical, increasingly so, I am including what I'm now calling just warfare prayer in all, on all kinds of occasions for me and for all the saints. On all occasions, all the saints, I am praying these different kinds of prayer. So I'm going to give you an example because I wrote one this last week to our brother Jeremy Hunter. Jeremy is our recovery minister. He's engaged in massive warfare, if you put it that way. More than most. Fighting against the enemy of addiction. And he is dealing with, he has been in the hospital quite a long time. He went through most recently 10 days of this 
crazy treatment of Guillain, for Guillain-Barre, which is a confusing, baffling thing with all kinds of different symptoms. He finally got to go home Friday. He gets home. Two hours later, something happens in his heart. He collapsed. They're back in an ambulance going back. I spent Friday night and yesterday with him. And, and so I'm saying that because I want you to be praying. But during all of this, before that happened, I, I sent him just, when I couldn't go by, I sent him an email prayer. And I want to read it to you just so that you have a practical example of how I take these verses I'm teaching. The struggle, who the struggle is against. It's not flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, rulers of this dark world, this ev- these evil Spirits, I use that language because it's unusual to me. I feel more confident taking it straight from Scripture. And so here was my prayer for Jeremy that I sent him, and I prayed over him when I'm there. In the name of Jesus, I command any principality, any power, any foul spirit, any lie, any lying spirit, any force or ruler of this dark world, any agent of evil and all anxiety away from my brother Jeremy. I bring the power of the blood in the cross of Jesus to bear against anything that resides inside or around Jeremy that does not belong there. I bring all the power of the cross, all of the healing in the blood of Jesus to be applied to Jeremy's body for his joy And for your glory, Father, and in your Son's name, let it be here on earth in his body as it is in heaven. Father, show your power in all of this to all of us. And do it quickly. Thank you for restoring his health, protecting your ministry that you do through him. And we agree with whatever it means when the scripture says, by his stripes we are healed. I also pray that you apply all of the power of this prayer to my sister Jamie. Fill her with strength and confidence in the face of this and a peace that goes well beyond understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Pray this for him. Now, is it spiritual warfare going on in that hospital room? Honestly, guys, I don't know. That's why I'm praying it. Because I don't know. I've got healing in there. I've always prayed that. But I have this other category that is in Scripture that I, that I do not engage in like I should. And I, I need to fix this. We need to fix this. Back in Ephesians, right? I'm, I'm going to finish up. Right after Paul articulates the six pieces of armor that we're to fit ourselves in and he's talking about this spiritual battle and you do have a struggle and it's not against flesh and blood. He ends with what I think is kind of a summary statement of how to go about warfare with this armor. He says, and pray, this is verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. What kinds of prayers do you pray? All kinds? What occasions do you pray all those kinds of prayers? All occasions? Who do you pray all of those different kinds of prayers over? All the saints? Look, just add this to your prayer life. 
please. Just add it. You, I've told you another prayer series that you learn to pray by praying. So this is new to so many of you, but you don't have to be afraid. I've told you and retold you from Scripture, you are protected. We live in this dominion of darkness as agents in, of the kingdom of light. And Jesus, who we are in and he is in us, keeps us safe from the evil one. And we are given a sword of the Spirit to do what Jesus modeled for us. Speak against evil and command it away. Some of you have never prayed like that once in your life. And it's going to sound funny the first time you do it. It was for me. But Jesus did it. Paul did it. Everyone affirms it. This is how we do it. We surrender ourselves to God. We resist the evil one. And we do it like Jesus did. And we do it like Paul modeled. Okay, maybe, like I said, you read this stuff, you're hearing this series, and you're going, what? I mean, I, this is so weird. I just don't even, I don't even want this to be my worldview. And I'm just going to challenge that and say, you do if it's true. You absolutely do. You may have been struggling with something for decades and you've been trying to address it through other great means counseling confession prayer but you haven't done warfare command it away in the name of jesus and just see what happens because the biblical example is if we believe in the bible so when you do that you know what happens it goes away There's so much more to say here. That's not the end of it. They'll try to gain reinforcements according to Scripture and come back seven times as strong. You don't need to be afraid of that. But we are in war. We live in a world at war. Last scene of Jesus. To just remind you, this is something you were called to do. And in fact, if we engage in this biblical category of the spiritual life, you might not only find freedom from things that you never had before or help someone else do it, but that you will also not be afraid. And on the contrary, you will be filled with joy. Jesus sends out the 72 on a mission trip, 36 mission trips. They went two by two. And they all come back. He tells them, hey, as you go, you're going like sheep among wolves, right? Enemy territory. But when they come back, they report that they have joy. Luke 10, 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in our name. Have you ever just taken note of that? This isn't even, it's in the Trinity. It's not Superman Paul. It's not even the 12. 72, a bunch of guys, we don't know their names. And they come back and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. I wonder what they were doing out there to see that happen. Probably what Paul did. Probably what Jesus did. And what you need to do. You want to come back to Jesus with this report. But you won't. Not if you don't engage. Jesus replied. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you. What? Authority. We walk like this. I wasn't scared when I was sitting there. Coming up here to pull the curtain on the enemy not like i've been trained to be no i'm not 
I have authority. I'm doing this in the name of Christ, on behalf of Christ, for the kingdom of light. And the smallest little bitty light pierces the thickest, darkest darkness. Just go in your closet with a little bitty light. You keep, the darkness will not. We're not afraid because he's given us authority. I have given you authority. For what? To overcome all the power of the enemy. Have we missed this? Have you missed this? Then he says, I love this. He tells us not to make the mistake that C.S. Lewis warns us not to make. He says, however, the main theme here isn't spiritual warfare. He says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Just rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says, this is the big deal. We're after life. We're on our way to heaven. There just happens to be opposition. So I've given you authority in this world at war. You're my agents. So don't be afraid and put the sword in your hand and get to work. But that's not the thing you celebrate and find your joy in. Oh, you'll find some joy there because remember, there's a larger story here. We're not people about warfare. We're people about Christ and life and love and light. There just happens to be opposition. And we are armed to the teeth to win every single time. Is your name? Is your name written in heaven? Ask our elders and our ministers to move around the room here, and then we're going to stand. We're going to sing. And uh, my real call to you today is this week, one time, pray, even if it's awkward. Pray. You don't have to do it just like me. Just use Ephesians 6 and pray a warfare prayer. Use the model of Jesus. Use the model of Paul and pray a warfare prayer. And let's see what happens when this church engages with the sword. Let's stand and let's sing. And if we can help you in any way, please come.